I'd, I'd like to think I'm close to optimal baldness right now. So if I can just maintain that. <laughs> optimal. So, so we have the title for this episode is Optimal Baldness. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. And for those of you wondering, yes, I am still alive. Uh, it's been challenging with schedules lately, so Michael has completely taken the reins and, in my opinion, done an excellent job, and hopefully everyone else's opinion too. But uh, he's he's had to go solo for a couple episodes, and for that I apologize, but uh, I am back in the saddle now. And today, what I would like to talk about is actually uh, my trail racing experience through the Sinister 7, which is something that uh, I was... I would say apprehensive about, or at least cautious about in the approach, because I was severely underprepared for it <laughs> and uh, very concerned that I was going to hurt myself. And uh, it's it's a fun story. It was just, uh, it was a neat event overall. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm definitely keen to hear it. I heard a little bit of uh, a little bit of detail from you when we chatted right after the race, but uh uh, listeners, you'll recall that we did a little preamble to it when we we talked about Andrew's training and uh, his his apprehension going into it. So this is a you know a nice way to uh, you know to close the loop on that um, on that other episode and uh, let you guys know how it went down. So why don't you take us through it, Andrew? What uh, what what were the highlights, the lowlights? Give us all the gory details. <laughs> I'm not going to give you all of the gory details. Uh, there's a few blanks that you'll be able to fill in, but um, <laughs> we'll we'll touch on them at least. So starting off the race, uh, first of all, there is a great group that I had the pleasure of uh, and the, the good fortune to be able to race with, and that's with uh, Shane Pegg, who's an excellent friend of mine, and his wife Maria, and then we had. Uh, Jody and Dave, which are um, some friends of Shane's and mine from Ontario, who were able to join us. So they they flew out, uh, were able to join us for the race, and then immediately flew back on tired, sore legs, which oh, having hopped in a plane after an Ironman, um, that's a noble effort to be able to <laughs> sit still for a couple hours. Yeah, and then, and then walk <laughs> afterwards. Yes, yeah. It was, uh, it was great of them to come out, though. Um, and as a group, we had a ton of fun together. It was it worked out really well. Nice. Um, so starting off the race. Um, so before before, so I'm going to totally cut you off. But before before you you jump into the race, uh, remind folks what the race is all about and how it was structured and how you guys were going to split it up. Yeah, as soon as you cut me off, I realized I had said nothing at all about the race. So. <laughs> context, context. Yes, Give it to context us. is important. I was just so excited to talk about it. Uh, so the race itself is it's called the Sinister Seven. Um, for good reason. So it's a pretty brutal ultra marathon, and most people who compete in it do it as a relay. So typically mm -hmm. it'll be, well, it's always seven different legs, but typically there'll be seven different people who compete in it. Uh, we only had five, so we had to double up on a few of them. Um, but the people who do it solo are the ones that I have incredible respect for. Like those people are a whole different kind of crazy. Um, mm -hmm. So kudos to anyone even attempting to do that. Uh, because it is an incredible undertaking. So, um, yeah, huge amount of respect. Uh, so the legs are broken down into uh, little loops that kind of go up from a few common areas. Um, generally speaking, they lead, lead from uh, 
a couple small towns near um, Fernie, uh, yeah, Fernie, BC. Uh, so they'll be between 20 and 32 kilometers, I think is what they range from. Most legs have mm-hmm. at least a thousand meters of elevation gain. Um, so the people doing the entire race have, hmm. uh, I think it's a total of 5,500 meters. I can't remember offhand. I might have that wrong, but uh, it is a lot of elevation. That is a so lot of meters. That is, yeah, five kilometers straight up. Um, for people getting into running, 5K is a kind of a milestone event for them when they do the first 5K. <laughs> and in this race, you're going five kilometers directly upwards, um, which is, yeah, pretty incredible. So we had Shane start off. Um, so he he went out there, and the whole time we were saying, okay, let's go out. We'll be super conservative. Uh, you know, go slower than you think you can. Um and we'll just try and play it safe so that we get back and everyone can do the legs. So Shane shows up 20 minutes ahead of schedule. Uh, and he's like, oh yeah, I felt good. So I was just pushing the pace a little bit. Um, so that's- uh, <laughs> Famous <I> mean, last words. <laughs> yeah, generally speaking, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he came back in and then um, he handed it off to his wife, Maria. Uh, and the, the first transition area, basically, as soon as the race starts, the second runner gets on a bus to go up to the where this handoff is, and we don't see them until until my leg. So we had no idea really where Maria was and what her pace would be. So we were hanging around this uh, third leg, which is at the the base of a ski hill. Um, so to come into the the end of the second leg into the start of the third leg, it's this run up and down a ski hill, which is an unpleasant way to start it. Um, but having no idea where or when Maria would come in, I was kind of hanging around and I was trying to keep myself hydrated. So I was drinking a lot and I was just thinking to myself, like, man, I've got to pee right now. Um, and sure enough, I was just heading off to the porta potties and then I get, uh, someone yelling like, oh, here comes Maria. Well, Andrew, you should have listened. You should have, you should have been here for our last conversation with Andy Blow because he was talking about the exact same situation that you're describing here. So, you know, flashback to, well, today when I published the episode with Andy, but he was, he was talking about how most ultra marathoners are hyponatremic and, and peeing a lot before the start of the race because they're, they tend to overdrink mm-hmm. and they're drinking the wrong stuff. So if I'm going to give you some homework to go listen to that conversation <laughs> with him because it's, it well, to my credit, it wasn't published. <laughs> that, that's a fair point. Yes. It's go back in time and listen to that conversation. So that actually has a bit of a funny resolution. Um, but uh, so Maria comes in and I'm thinking, Oh man, I got to pee, but uh, I didn't have time to do it. So off I go. And I thought, okay, it's a trail race. It's going to be pretty quiet. So um, I'll, yeah, you I'll, can duck out. Somewhere. Yeah. I'll take care of it as necessary. Um, so anyway, the, the race starts off and the first hill is about maybe 50 meters of running and 20 meters of elevation. Um, so it's like instantly uphill and huh. basically you start off running the first little bit and then it's just kind of power hiking, uh, and you're just going up the side of a ski hill. So it's, uh, it was pretty intense. I was trying to keep my heart rate in my target zone. But what I'd realized is on my Garmin watch, I hadn't reset up. So I'd started a, a trail run profile and I hadn't reset up all the alerts. So, and I didn't have heart rate immediately available. Mm. So instantly I'm like, oh no, this is going to be trouble. And uh, I had a lot of trouble keeping into my target heart rate zone right like in the first five minutes of the race. 
Um, so that was a bit concerning and I knew it would be an issue, but it was just such a steep hill that it's hard to regulate your, your heart rate like that. Yeah. There's not much you can do. Yeah. So, um, going on in time about, uh, an hour or so into the race, I kind of settled into a groove and there was this nice fire road section. So I was running down this and it was slightly downhill. So I was doing really comfortable pace, keeping my heart rate where I wanted it to be. Um, so it felt really good there. And, um, there were already at that point, people complaining about the heat. Um, and I should mention that it was a very hot day. It was, uh, around 32 degrees when I started. Um, the leg that I was doing was extremely exposed. Uh, so there was basically only trees for the first third of the, the course. And then it was just kind of, a the backside of a mountain with only scrub. Um, and then, hmm. uh, yeah, I saw people ducking out to dunk into streams already. Uh, so only a couple hours into the race overall and only one hour into my leg. Um, so kudos to them because they were playing it smart. Um, I ended up bypassing them. Uh, which may have been to my detriment later on. But uh, I, I let the streams go. I was feeling pretty comfortable uh, and just kind of trying to maintain my pace. <clears throat> so uh, was that was that a was that a urination pun, Andrew? Letting the streams go. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm not that clever today. So thank you for picking that up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So I'm Moving here on. <laughs> Now that uh, I've derailed your thought, your thought process. Yeah, totally, totally derailed. Um, so going on to later in the course, like uh, it was pretty exposed, but um, the one part that really was challenging for me is this long, steady uphill climb that was just, for me at least, it was a little bit too steep to be able to run it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, you weren't getting much, there wasn't any wind, it was very exposed, it was about noon, very hot. So I was power hiking this and keeping the same pace as most other people out there. So everyone was about the same gap. And I got to an aid station and uh, the aid station was near the top of the hill. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get, you know, get some water, get some electrolytes, try and balance everything, Um, which I hadn't heard Andy Blow's interview, but uh, I was trying to at least keep the, the electrolytes in my body. Um, So, and I thought, okay, I'm going to have some watermelon slices, which they had there. And I ate the watermelon and it was like, immediately I knew something wasn't happy. And I thought, okay, uh, feeling a little lightheaded, but I'm going to keep pushing on. So I kind of just doing a light jog, um, continued to go up the hill. And about five to 10 minutes later, I just started throwing up like crazy. So it was, uh, and these are the gory details that I'm not going to share. But uh, maybe we can do a special recording if someone really wants all the details. But uh, the, um, it, yeah, the, the watermelon just set me off. And I don't know what it was, but I just felt incredibly nauseous. Um, so I think it was a combination of overheating and a sustained high heart rate that was just beyond where I should have been. And it, uh, it really, really hurt me. <laughs> I bet. I mean, I, I, you're, you're probably, you know, you're probably right about the overheating. I think that uh, certainly that, you know, the, the blood diversion from the, the mm-hmm. GI tract plays a big role in it. Uh, I'm, you know, it's hard to say why you were, why it made you throw up, but, um, it's possible that maybe you put too much in there, you know, like you, you stretch the stomach to the point where it wasn't happy to be at in its current state of, of mild to moderate distress. Um, and the, the simplest thing for your body was to say, nope, out you go. Yeah, yeah. So that's ultimately what 
yeah, that's ultimately what happened there. So it was pretty unpleasant. Um, and I thought like, okay, I'm at the farthest point away from the, uh, the finish and this is a disaster already. So, um, how am I going to get back? So I just continued walking. Um, I couldn't really bring myself to run. And after about half an hour of this 45 minutes, um, I was still making progress, but, uh, it was unpleasant and, um, eventually my stomach just started to come back to me. So I don't know if it was cooling down. I don't know if it was just being able to process, uh, what was left in my stomach. Um, but, uh, and this, this is about two and a half hours to three hours into the leg, into the 32 kilometers that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And most of the elevation had, uh, was behind me at this point. So I think I'd done about, uh, 1100 meters out of the, the 1500 that I had to do. Um, so coming down the backside of this mountain, uh, that ultimately did me in, um, this was actually one of the hardest legs, parts of my leg for me, um, because it was exposed. It was this really dry cracked dirt. So if you imagine, you know, a desert where you see all the, um, the cracked, uh, dirt where all the, the moisture has been evaporated and mm -hmm. it's just all split and kind of loose. Um, that was what a lot of the backside of this trail was like. And it was, uh, it was just really uncomfortable to run through this. So I was fortunately running at this point, but I was definitely overheating and I was doing my best to keep myself kind of within my threshold and just trying to figure out how to, how to make it through to the end. Um, so coming up to the end of this exposed section, um, there was actually a stream at one of the aid stations. So I got a whole bunch of ice from the aid station, uh, whatever they would load me up with. And then I literally with like three other guys, uh, laid down in the stream. So it was just the four of us kind of, uh, and there wasn't much room here. So it was like a bunch of people just laying in the stream trying to cool down. <laughs> so I, I was definitely not the only one feeling the effects of the heat. Um, it was, yeah, at this point, like it was getting close to the, I think it was the last eight kilometers. So it was kind of the home stretches of the race or at least my leg. But uh, yeah, that was that was the turning point where it was like, once I got to the stream, I knew I could finish. I knew I could push it into the end. And uh, yeah, so the rest of it was just kind of slogging back up this ski hill and over top. And it was a tough climb, but uh, made it up there and then back down to the same point that I started and handed off the timing chip to the, the next person. Um, so it was really, for me, this was an eye-opening experience and maybe this is what most trail races are like, but, uh, a lot of the trail running I've done locally has been steep, but not to the point where you need, uh, where you need to have trekking poles, but this, the majority of the climbs, I've definitely benefited from having poles. I almost actually, I didn't ever collapse them down when I was running. I would just put them in one hand and kind of hold in the middle of the pole and then just switch back and forth. Uh, and going up almost every hill, even in a jogging pace, I was able to use the poles and, and help offload some of the, the load from my legs. So I, I found them extremely useful. Um, and it was the first time I'd heavily relied on them. How many, so then, so then you did 32, what's the total distance on that race? Yeah. So the total distance is a hundred miles. Um, so oh, 161 kilometers for everyone who finished the solo event, like I said before, it was, it's unbelievably hard. So kudos to even attempting that. Um, so it was a huge undertaking just for me to do one leg. I was underprepared, but, uh, next year I'm definitely interested in doing the 50 miler. So that's, that's my goal is to, to go out there and do kind of the second half of the race, which is the, the 50 mile, uh, leg nice. that they have. So good experience overall. Super interesting. 
if uh, depending on what's going on in you know with with endurance innovation, uh, yeah, it'd be fun for me. I might join you in that in that fifty. That would be awesome. I know that uh, there's multiple people. So Dave is also looking at doing the 50. Shane may do the 50. And two of Shane's kids are interested in joining the relay. So I think we've got to build out the relay team. So if there's any listeners who are particularly interested and uh, are willing to pass a bit of a background (laughs) check, so it's not completely random people that we have out there, uh, then we'd be be very interested in in getting some more people involved because it was... Like, it was just such an awesome experience. Like, it was fun to hang around when we weren't racing. It was so much fun when we were racing. And it's just such a gr- good group of people that nice. uh, that are doing these ultra marathons. So it, it just feels like family that you're around. It's it's so cool. And it's, yeah. it's less of a race than most of the triathlons I've done. It's more just a test of attrition. Um, like, everyone's just trying to finish. You're not really competing. That's what trail racing is mostly about. It feels like to me. Like I've only done, I've only done a couple of races and like really raced only one of them. So it's, I don't really have a great experience with it. But um, yeah, it seems like a totally different vibe. And for for anyone who's interested in the relay team, you'll be asked a series of multiple choice questions, such as like, you know, what's the have you ever relationship between yes power no. and speed? <laughs> no, 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 no. It'll be like, it'll be topical. It'll be, you know, like, okay. you know, define, uh, you know, how do you, how, how do you, how do you calculate, you know, the, the power speed relationship and aerodynamic drag, that kind of stuff, you know, that's, that's all important for trail racing, especially. Well, I just, I just, you know, it, it has, there has to be somebody who is, uh, you know, who is, uh, it was the right spirit for <laughs> the right level of, of, of nerdiness for the team. I like it. Um, it's kind of like a skill test yeah, question. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm I'm doing a I'm doing a Hurricana UTHC uh, in uh, oh pretty soon uh, September something September 12th or something. Um, it's in Quebec and it's I'm doing the 65k, so not quite a 50 miler. Uh, and that one's got uh, a, a fair bit of elevation too. So I'm definitely gonna pack the poles after after talking to you. And I'm also quite undertrained for it. I actually speaking of being woefully undertrained, I. Uh, uh, just this week withdrew from Canada man, which was going to be like my big race for this season. Um, after having a, a very sobering conversation with, uh, a friend of the show, David Tilbury Davis and, you know, my friend and, uh, and somebody who I, I admire quite a bit, uh, and have a lot of respect for. And he, he gave me an idea of what uh, I needed, you know, what my training should look like between now and the race, which is early October. And I looked at it and I kind of my my jaw hit the floor and I was like, nah, there's no way I'm gonna do that. It was it was a moment where I realized that like even if I could do it and even if I could could you know, if I could somehow work it into my family scheduling for the next six weeks, I just don't want to. Like they were it was basically what what amounted to seven hour rides um every, pretty almost every week for uh, for the next six weeks and just to be comfortable, like trying to hit a certain kilojoule target. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't think I want to do that. Um, so yeah, that one's off, but you know, I, I will say that, uh, uh, the folks at, uh, the folks running Canada, man, uh, forgive me, I forget the company name. Uh, they were awesome about, uh, about accommodating my request to withdraw, um, much more so than some, <clears throat> you know, bigger brands out there that are, that are much better known. Um, so kudos to you folks. And I'll, I'll definitely be back to do that race when, when I'm, you know, 
prepared enough not to perish <laughs> somewhere <laughs> along the way. So uh, so that's uh, that's definitely in my future. But uh, UTHC is still on, um, and uh, having having listened to your account of this uh of uh, sinister seven i'm excited to to give it a try uh even though i know it's going to be a a very very long day it was one of the hardest things i've ever done but also one of the most rewarding um so i was behind on my pace from where i expected um but everyone was that day so but it was also sobering and it was just an overall enjoyable experience yeah, and uh, and definitely, you know, it's uh, especially on really hot days uh, like that. The the hydration piece is so important. Um, Nutrition is really important too, of course, for these long days. But the hydration bit is is critically important to get right um, because you can, you know, look like if you bonk, you just stop. <laughs> you know, you slow down, you take a rest, you walk. You know, you can do all of these things, but. If you run into trouble with uh, like severe dehydration or hyponatremia or any of that, that's those are medical emergencies where you could be like in really serious trouble, right? Because look, we're not we're never going to run out of, of endogenous fat reserves, right? So if you if you bonk, the worst thing that's going to happen is that you take a break and you walk. But if yeah, the the consequences of of getting hydration and like thermal management wrong mm-hmm. um, are are much more dire. Speaking of thermal management, were you wearing your core sensor? Did you did you did you see what your your temperature got up to actually i was um we can post that data it was uh sure. or i should say those data i i'm yeah. kind of You're being a phd now you have know. to come on man you gotta get you gotta get you, you gotta you gotta talk the talk too i know it's i feel like every time you use data in the plural you get eyes rolling at you or people's thinking like you don't know how to use that word at all uh so we will post my information <laughs> Uh, and then we'll, uh, there you go. Way to dodge. yeah, we can, we can do a screenshot of that. I'll try and strip open a pace so no one has to look at that. Um, but, uh, no, I'll, I'll put it all up there. I, I don't really care. Um, and you can see how much I overshot my heart rate target. Um, and it was pretty bad, but, uh, yeah, the, the core temperature definitely when I started walking, everything came back down and that was probably why I started feeling better. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very interesting to look at. Now, the thing that wasn't um, maybe as indicative was I hit kind of the same plateau that I typically hit. Um, it's just how long I sustained it for mm-hmm. was a little bit different. So maybe that's where the the issues came in and the thermal comfort problems. How do you mean? Uh, usually when I hit a plateau, for me, it's around 39 and a half degrees. Um, actually, I'll have to check that. But uh, it's either 38 and a half or 39 and a half um, based on the sensor readings. And uh, mine's 38 and a half. It's so interesting. Like I, was, I coach a guy who has a, who has a sensor and he, his is really high too. Like his is 39 something. That's where he starts to feel uncomfortable, but mine's really low. It takes me a while to get there, but it's, yeah. Yeah. We've had this discussion before and it's, um, I like, it's very consistent for me. So one thing that we could do is, uh, we could swap out our gross sweaty sensors and see if we still get the same results, uh, when you're using my sensor and I'm using yours. Um, so that might be a good back-to-back comparison, sure. um, but it could be physiology based. And like, I do know that I have issues with, um, with thermal management in general. So maybe it's just my, uh, core temperature increases faster than most other people's. And that's why I hit that threshold sooner. You should listen to the Andy Blow episode because there was, he had some really interesting insights on, on how, how some of those, you know, how sometimes it, it can be, um, it can be a sign of, really high sodium concentration in your sweat 
uh anyway i uh, you know we don't really need to talk too much about it because we just really you just published an episode that that does that in much in you know straight from the uh the the horse's mouth as it were mm-hmm. um but it's an interest it would be interesting for you to maybe experiment with that if you're if you're curious um and maybe do one of those tests there's a guy there's a guy in bc who does the ph tests uh the the sodium concentration tests I just had mine done in Toronto, um, but there's I think there's a guy in, in BC who does them too. So it might be interesting to if you really want to nerd out on it, you can actually get your, you know, your your sweat concentration number, and then really no nail it down. In uh, the interview with Fabiano, I believe uh, he was talking about a friend of his who he's uh, he's working with who who has that sensor, and it's someone mm-hmm. I had actually encountered at Kona uh, just by random chance. So, um, yeah, we'll have to reach out to them. That's something else I've been meaning to do. You can cut this part out, but uh, I'll have to reach out to, to her and, and figure out uh, if we can have we her on totally for an episode. We should totally do it. Um, so, yeah, definitely sounds like an experience, Andrew, um, and, uh, and one that uh, I'm looking forward to you repeating next year and, and hearing about all the, you know, all the other fruits that you, you evacuate um, because, you know, or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully there are far fewer fruits being evacuated. <laughs> we can we can make a bar. We can like uh, anyway. I, I think I'm getting a little bit off uh, off the off the trail here. Um, so, uh, <laughs> listeners, I think what we want to talk about next is a uh, is a completely different story, and this one comes uh, from Tokyo, uh, from the Olympic Games, of course. Uh, and uh, this the, this story made the headlines in the cycling news. Uh, so if you follow those, you, you probably have see you probably see it. Andrew sent it to me, um, and it was the the Danish track pursuit team who won the silver medal uh, at the games. But uh, at this point, when the story came out, they they just set a, a really fast lap, um, and there was an interesting uh, an interesting addition to the to the athletes on this team that that, mm-hmm. that caught the attention of the press and the, the attention of the the UCI as well. What was that, Andrew? And I believe it was orchestrated by our friend uh, Dan Bigham as well. So um, someone who is very clever and, <laughs> and leaves no stone doing. unturned, as he as he puts it himself. Yeah. So I mean, kudos to him. Like this is, I love this kind of engineering or this kind of um, innovation. It's uh, basically using a piece of kin tape on the the shins, so running up the the center of your lower leg using that as a basically air modification for uh, for your calf to reduce drag. And of course, the reason you may want to do this is because the UCI won't let you wear socks above the point that's halfway between your, your ankle and your knee, right? So everything everything above that midpoint to the knee has to be exposed skin. So that's uh, that area is rife for, let's say, clever interventions. Absolutely. And uh, this is a very clever intervention. So the idea behind this is that you're basically creating something along the lines of the golf ball effect, the dimple effect on the, the leg. So you're, you're modifying the airflow. You're taking a flow that would otherwise be laminar, which uh, laminar flows are typically associated with high drag coefficients for cylinders or legs or objects like that. You're making the boundary layer turbulent, which reduces the size of the wake. And then you're therefore reducing the drag. So the reason that this is effective is uh, laminar flow is very steady and smooth, and that's the characteristic of laminar flow. So once you introduce some instability, especially far upstream, this instability can continue downstream. So the flow essentially gets tripped into turbulent, uh, which turbulence is characterized by random fluctuations of air velocity. 
Um, and this will actually mix the region of flow that is normally uh, next to the surface. It'll mix it with higher energy, higher velocity flow, and that delays flow separation and reduces the wake size. Mm, interesting. So that's kind of the fundamental idea behind it. And the way they did this was creating a um, basically a roughness at the, the leading edge of the leg. And this roughness where the air would uh, hit up against the, the surface, um, it's the leading edge. Everything is downstream of it after that contact point. So it was able to probably very effectively trip this flow, which would otherwise be laminar under these flow conditions and the speed, uh, trip it to turbulent and probably reduce the drag by a non non-trivial amount. Mm. Um, and it's something that, uh, like you, you often hear people talking about seam placement for trip steps, trip strips, uh, things like that. So this is effectively the same thing, but taking an area that you can't put any seams mm -hmm. unless you want to go in and get stitches. Um, <laughs> and I wouldn't put that beyond some Olympic athletes. Maybe that's the next step is people like physically modifying their skin. <laughs> oh no. Put aerodynamic features, like stitch them on, on, under the skin yeah, or like, or like, uh, or, or, you know, kind of textured tattoos or something. Yep. Vortex generator piercings. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> this is, this is definitely, uh, yeah, very interesting development. And the fact that the UCI banned it so quickly, uh, like you pointed <laughs> out, Michael, is, is something that probably indicates its efficacy. Yes. Um, but it's, I, I just love seeing this kind of innovation. And it was very clever. Um, it's it's neat to see people try those things. And it gets, you, gets me thinking like, you know, what other sports could benefit like that for, from things like that. So for example, I was watching diving this morning mm -hmm. um, while I was doing a, an early morning workout. And in the diving competition, I was thinking, okay, what if where your hands are going in, you can introduce that same kind of turbulence and then reduce the size of the splash because now you've got smoother flow hmm. going over your body. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's things like that. No one steal that idea. That's my idea. So, <laughs> you shouldn't put on a podcast, um, Andrew. <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe you can just censor that entire bit out and have a long beep. Yeah, okay. Um, but uh, no, it, it does make you think that... Um, that there, there's so many things that uh, that are rife for just various kinds of improvements that uh, that we haven't really explored. Like it's it's just such a cool application, mm -hmm. and that kind of thinking is what I love. So kudos to Dan, that was awesome. That was really um, cool. And you know, it's banned now, but at least uh, if you're going to get something banned, get it banned during the Olympics <laughs> yeah, when right. you can make the most. <laughs> maybe maybe he should have. You know my. My one thought is maybe he should have held off and then maybe that would have given him the edge against the Italians in the final. But, uh, you know, hindsight, right? Um, I, I, have a, I have a point and a question, but the, the point is uh, just, a, just a credit to uh, Sebastian Schlurike, and I'm very sorry for mispronouncing your last name, uh, of Aerotune, who, of course, was on the show. And someone I speak to on a regular basis who pointed out, who made the quip originally that if the UCI bans it, then you know you know it's working. I told him about this story, and he goes, "Yeah, if it's banned by the UCI, then you know that Dan was on the right track." But my question is, and I think this has been kind of a joke in the past, and and people have jokingly explored this, but like, what about leg hair? 
Like, could you not, you know, you you hear this pop up like on April, April Fool's every single year of cyclists shaving their leg hair in in aerodynamic shapes. But look, leg hair is, is, introduces some kind of surface roughness. Maybe you have to set your clippers to like a one or a two or, or some kind of, you know, some kind of scientifically determined leg hair length. But could you not do, could you not have a similar effect by quaffing your your <laughs> your leg hair in an, in an appropriate way and then the uci can go stuff it because that's not a that's 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 not extraneous to the athlete uh and uh yeah there's they they can't uh they can't say no to that i like the comment <laughs> the uci can go stuff it so <laughs> very good um yeah so the interesting thing with leg hair is it has been tested um I, I can't remember the gains. I think it was about a minute per 40K was what uh, Specialized in their wind tunnel had That's found. That's huge. Um, so you would gain a minute by 40. Yeah, so it's not insignificant. So shaving all that time you spend shaving your legs, Michael, yeah. presumably, uh, pays off. Yeah. So, um, and it's... A, Oh no! Okay. Well, all that time you should spend shaving your legs. I'm gonna I'm gonna play this for for um, Diana because uh, so who's my wife who's who hates when I shave my legs, and so I'll I'll tell her that uh, Andrew said it was faster, so that uh, she believes me now. <laughs> She's gonna hate me, uh, but it's yeah, it's been shown to be faster. I think it depends a little bit on the athlete, but um, in terms of the effect as a trip strip or kind of a turbulizer or some introduction to turbulence, it actually may not work that well because the leg hair, when you imagine hair blowing over, it kind of flows with the surface. So if anything, it might actually dampen the fluctuations. Oh, I see. Okay. And I know there was some, uh, some research a number of years ago, um, just with the yeah, so the, the Navy or shipbuilders were looking at reducing drag for ships. And because of the length of ships, you and these are like cargo container ships, um, you have a significant amount of drag that comes from the, the boundary layer. Um, so if you can keep it laminar, that's actually an area where laminar flow provides less drag because uh, there's less shear stress at the, the ship's hull. So they were injecting polymers, uh, so strips of, I forget how long, but uh, they were injecting that into the boundary layer. And that delayed the onset of turbulence, which made a non-trivial reduction in drag. Um, the problem is if you're just continually injecting things into the ocean. So they grew, they grew, they grew hair on the ships, on the ship hulls? No, they were injecting it. Uh, maybe they should have grown hair, uh, but uh, they were injecting it directly into the water. So obviously that's not a very sustainable, either environmentally oh, yeah. or economically sustainable solution. But it was, it was interesting research nonetheless. And, and sometimes these areas of research, they don't pan out the way they hope they do, but uh, it leads to other interesting findings like this. But uh, my suspicion is that having leg hair that's flowing and moving with the wind, um, <laughs> that would probably <laughs> probably delay the onset of uh, transition to turbulence. I'm just so, I, I'm having a mental. So image. you may not be better off shaving these. <laughs> I'm having the mental image of like a toupee glued to your chin, kind of blowing in the breeze. <laughs> So um, yeah, maybe you know if you get if if we if you're listeners if you're a, a super hairy individual um, and you want to you want to experiment, I think maybe set the trimmers to the lowest kind of uh, the lowest setting so you have just a little thin thin 
not thin, but like a little um, not very tall strip of hair on your shin, and then go arrow test that. If you if you do that for us, we'd be forever grateful and report on your findings. <laughs> and take pictures. And take, of course, yes, of course. That, that, that's especially the the before and after, especially <laughs> if you leave a strip. <laughs> yeah, like a so landing. So one strip other on interesting thing that's unrelated to. <laughs> Terrible image. Uh, okay. <laughs> Let's move as quickly away from that as we can. This show's gone completely off the rails. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> the one thing that's really interesting, though, is um, a couple of years ago, when I first started thinking a lot about heat transfer, I tried shaving my head to see if it would make me do better in the, the heat because, you know, in theory, you've got less insulation on your head. Mm -hmm. um, I find that that's naturally happening as time passes, but that's a separate issue. Um, so <laughs> that's your genetics wanting to make you more, more thermally efficient. Andrew. <laughs> I like the way you think. That's what I'm going to say to people. Whenever they Mine ask. are doing it too. Really, really well. actually. <laughs> but the, the idea was, um, you know, decrease the amount of thermal resistance I have, so therefore I can, you know, sweat and release heat faster. But uh, especially talking to my friend Art, who was on the show previously, um, he commented that uh, he finds it coolest when he has his hair really short, but still there. And the thought was it actually kind of wicks the sweat up. So now you've got more surface area that the sweat is exposed to. So you've got kind of a rough surface, like a mountainous surface on your head that the, the sweat is now taking form of. Um, and it's the, the capillary forces and the surface tension of the, the sweat that hold it in place and keep it from just running away. So, um, yeah, it was a super interesting observation and I have kind of noticed that. So it might be a good excuse for having stubble, um, on all parts of your body and, uh, and, you know, maybe aerodynamically it's not as beneficial, but from a heat transfer standpoint, maybe it actually is an improvement. So, hmm. um, yeah, just wanted to toss that out there as just kind of a factoid. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I wonder what sort of like follicular density you would need to make that work. Like at, at what like baldness level does that does that stop being effective? I think we're getting a little bit into the weeds here, <laughs> but uh, it would be it would be interesting to you know it would be interesting to find out that. I'd, I'd like to think I'm close to optimal baldness right now. So if I can just maintain that <laughs> optimal. So, so we have the title for this episode is optimal baldness. <laughs> You have to get through. You have to get through like Andrew's race report and are uh, talking about the Olympics to get to Bolton. <laughs> I, I can't think of a better place to wrap up, and I'm sure so many people are rolling their eyes listening to this and just waiting for it to finish. I, if if they've made it this if they've made it this far into the episode, then yes. Um, listeners, we promise we'll get back to you with like like actual serious evidence based, uh, you know, non ridiculous conversation for for next episode. But uh, you know, it's uh, we we've 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 been overdue for a silly episode. Yeah, it was fun talking about it though, and uh, going back to trail racing and the, the serious side of it, like it was the most fun I've had in a long time. And it is so nice to get back to racing. And the great thing nice. about trail racing is just the social distancing. So if you are feeling uncomfortable with being close to people then it's a great way to do it. So I would highly encourage anyone who's got the itch for racing right now to, to go out and try it. Go sign up for a trail race if you can. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. So let's uh, let's leave it there. Uh, listeners, as always, thank you very much for spending the time with us. Maybe I usually say hopefully you learned something today, but probably today you didn't learn anything. Um, <laughs> except for maybe optimal baldness. And uh, 
And, uh, you know, hopefully that doesn't deter you from coming back and listening to us next week. And uh, as always, do give us a rating and a review. Hopefully, well, maybe not. Maybe not after this episode. Give us another couple episodes and then give us a rating and a review uh, on iTunes. And uh, and uh, tell your friends because, uh, you know, most of the time we, t- we, we give you information you can actually use. Um, with that, I <laughs> thank you one more time and uh, we'll talk to you next week.